All right. Uh, you can open your Bibles up to the book of Acts chapter 1. However, most of the verses are going to be projected on the screen this morning uh, because we are pulling over our series in the book of Acts to talk about vision. We're going to re recast the vision, revisit the vision, and we're going to ask ourselves, what's going on in here? What's going on out there? And what is the vision that God has given us for the next thousand days? In Acts 17, verses 6 to 7, this is right where our whole plan came from. And we just covered this passage a few weeks ago. But in Acts 17, 6 to 7, it says this, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, saying that there is another king, Jesus. I'm going to read that again. These men who have turned the world upside down isn't that what you want to see happen today? Like, really, in your heart, as a Christian, do you just want to be on the lazy river, float along, have some peaceful passing into glory, crowd cheering for you, or would you like to see the world turned upside down? What do you want? Because in Scripture, I see the earliest believers going around and flipping the entire Roman Empire upside down on its head. They've come here also, saying there is another king, Jesus. So where did our vision come from? Well, it sprang right out of the Bible. But last year, our elders began working on a bold vision and a three-year strategic plan for our church. We completed a church health assessment with an outside organization, which gathered feedback from over 25 leaders at Anchor. We also gathered feedback from 147 respondents to an all-church survey last year. We invited the church to pray and to the Lord to direct our efforts as we planned. And we want you to catch the vision again and to remember where we're going as a church. Then you can find your place in the plan. You can say, show me where to stand on the field of battle, O Lord, and shake the ground beneath my knees. That's the idea. Here's a slide that has our uh, 2023, well, it's for the next three years, but our strategic plan, it had seven parts, it does. It's available on our website, our identity plan, our prayer plan, staff and leader development plan, ministry and assimilation, healthy community, local, regional, global outreach, business and operations plan. So we released that to the congregation. Then we went through a um, small group series, a seven-part small group series, where we took a week on each part to get informed, to get equipped, and to get inspired. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to say, hey, 100 days in, what's going on in here, what's going on out there, and where are we going? Okay, let's pray before we go there today. Lord Jesus, thank you that 100 days have passed. Thank you, O oh Lord, that you have done such wonderful things already. We praise you, Lord, because through your word, the gospel is spreading. In our hearts, our little children, O oh Lord, who can come to you freely, our teenagers who are going out into a world that is assaulting truth at every level, our young adults who are struggling, striving, who are trying to find themselves their way, Lord, those who are in the middle of their years, who are looking back, looking ahead, and those who are trying to finish well, we pray, O oh Lord, that in here you would help us to continue to be a loving community with our hearts fixed on you and helping each other. Lord, we know the world out there is not getting better. It's getting darker, more violent, more vain, full of greed, envy, lust, madness. Lord, it seems hopeless at times. But we pray that you would help us to see a picture of the future where you reign, where you reign in our hearts, 
in our homes, in our church, in our city, our state, our nation, and the entire world, because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, you can jot this down, number one. We have a vision for in here. Let's talk about in here. Our vision in here. Usually people have a bigger heart for out there or a bigger heart for in here. And I found out pretty early in the vision process that if I start really getting, really getting excited about out there, but I'm talking to more of an in here person, they kind of pull the parking brake. And they're like, wait a minute, we got to remember the people in here. And they're right. But we can't just have our eyes fixed in here. We have to go out there too. So what is our vision for in here, inside these four walls? Well, look at Acts 2, 42 to 47. We'll put those up on the screen. What do we find in Scripture marked the earliest community in the church? It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, it should have said bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. You go on to the next slide. I think this is broken across a few slides. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. One more. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hey, what an amazing report card. What a great description of what was going on inside the church. Let it be said that that's happening here. What you, what you find there is a church community that's devoted to the word, following the apostles that are giving to each other and souls are being saved forever and ever. That's what should be happening in here. But there are big problems out there as there were in the book of Acts. Problems that jeopardized the purity of the congregation. So you can write this down. The three biggest problems in the church today, what are they? Well, worldliness, division, and pride. Worldliness, division, and pride. These are the things that keep coming up in the book of Acts. These are the things that keep coming up today. Worldliness, you see it, I see it. Christians too often talk, think, act, and live just like the world. Go into the church and you see people acting just like the health club. You can see people acting just like the DMV. When there's no distinction between the world and the church, worldliness can infiltrate. We all battle worldliness from the moment we wake up in the morning. We want our way. We want to be uh, on our own path. We want to make sure that we're, um, that we're kind of doing well. And so focusing on ourselves, we can get comfortable. We can get self-centered. We can get entitled. And then worldliness creeps into our own hearts. Every day we have to battle that in our own flesh. And in the church, the same thing. So worldliness and then division. Division. Christians fight. Maybe you didn't know this. Christians fight over anything and everything that can be fought about. Legendary battles in church history over everything from the music to the chairs to the dress code to the treats and the snacks. And everything can create problems in the church. When we were at church plant, we didn't even have our own building. We rented a building from another church. And one Saturday, people from our church accidentally ate the other church's potluck. Who put all this food in the fridge? Looks pretty yummy. 
Now, I'm really grateful to report that that didn't create a big church uprising because that other church forgave us. But boy, can churches fight about anything. People develop agendas. They get hurt. They get petty. They draw lines. They get isolated. They form cliques. They build walls, and they go to war, and churches erupt in turmoil. Division can hit every church. The family of God is full of dirt and drama, and it distracts people from the mission. Worldliness, division, pride, especially among the leaders, pride is the third biggest problem in the church right now. Pride, leaders, huge egos building their brands, some turning out to be predators, and there is a great reckoning happening in the evangelical church right now. People greedy for green, gain or lusting after women or drunk on power, building their towers to Babel, and then they all fall down. And unfortunately, the world is watching and scoffing at the circus that the church has become. There are big problems in the church today. So worldliness, division, pride, how do we actively counter those things? Well, in here, here's what we're building. In here, we're building a holy, healthy, humble spiritual community. That's what we're going for. Holy, not worldly. Healthy, not divided. Humble, not proud. We're going for a holy, healthy, humble spiritual community. And each one of us has a toolbox that we can either use to build up or break down the body of Christ. In Acts 4, 32 to 35, we'll put that up on the screen. I think this is broken across a few slides too. It says this, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Isn't that beautiful? One heart, one soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There's the teaching. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. Such love. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is a generous church. This is a giving church. This is a united church. This is a listening church. This is a going, a serving church. They were one heart, one mind, one soul. Isn't that what you want in here? Isn't that what you want in here? Isn't that? Some of you aren't decided yet. Isn't that what you want in here? Yes. And are you willing to build that? Because yes. if your toolbox stays closed, who knows what the people around you are going to begin constructing. But if you open it up and you get to work, maybe we can build it. Holy. You can write this down. Holy. A holy congregation is turning from sin, going deeper in knowledge and love for Christ. A holy congregation is turning from sin, going deeper in knowledge and love for Christ. You can get into the list of ways we can become holy, but sometimes it's better to give a picture. In the Bible, sometimes it gives you the do's and the don'ts. I was on a, was on a Southwest Airline flight once, and we were in a hurry. Had to take off. So the flight attendant got up, said, we're in a hurry to take off. Here it is. You know, usually you get this really long list of how to survive in the ocean and blah, 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 right? Got up there and said, do the do's, don't the don'ts. Here we go. 
<laughs> no seatbelt instruction. <laughs> Do the do's, don't the don'ts. Here we go. Sometimes the Bible's that blunt, but sometimes we get more of a picture. So a picture of holiness is found in Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. This is what we are to become. Here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be, here it is, holy and without blemish. You know, a good way to ask, are we becoming holy, is to go through the Ten Commandments. But another way is to say, are we becoming the beautiful bride that Christ is intending us to become as we await his return? You know, my daughter, Ellie, got married last weekend. <laughs> when your oldest child gets married, you like go through a wormhole of life and you're like, whoa, what new world is this? Here's some pictures, which are so awesome. Ellie and Cade, we love him. Godly young man. Very handy, too. It's good when men are godly and handy. He's already helped me with at least 10 projects around uh, the house. But there's me and Jared getting ready. He's really happy that I'm sharing that picture. And me and Lauren driving. And Lauren taking a picture with her daughter. And oh, my goodness. Here's the next picture from the wedding reception. Uh, she got married. Can you believe it? It's so adorable. Now look, if she showed up and that dress was like wrinkled and coffee stained and ketchup on the one side and mustard on the other, can you imagine what would have happened? Oh no. In fact, during the pictures, she got a little dirt on the dress because we, you know, we're outside and it was, we got to get that on. Spot. No spots on the dress at all. Now this whole, because I was just immersed in it, that whole idea of a wedding and being a bride, it's a picture of holiness. As a congregation, we have to be wedding ready. Wedding ready. L like when I was younger and grandma came to town, we had to get the house grandma ready. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, you, you dust everything when grandma's coming to town. Grandma ready is one thing. Wedding ready is even higher than grandma ready. So when you, when you ask ourselves, are we becoming a holy church? Are we getting wedding ready? Do you have that wedding day intensity, purity, devotion, hustle to say, it's the day? Or are you kind of bridezilla with the fly swarming around your greasy hair that hasn't been washed in for three months? Yikes, we could become so worldly or so holy. Hey, let's be like the bride getting ready for Christ's return. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful to think of, that we could be getting ready for the big day? Imagine if for three years we said, Lord, make us holy together. Make our children holy. Make our teenagers holy. Turn us away from sin that stains and beckon us into your presence because, Lord Jesus, we can't wait for you to come back. We're ready. Can you imagine? Holy. Jot this down. Healthy. We want to be healthy, setting aside selfishness and strife, going deeper in love for each other. Setting aside selfishness and strife, going deeper in love for each other. This is individually being healthy, you and the Lord, but also in relationships here. We want to be a loving community. 
a loving community. And there, there's so many ways to become a toxic community online, right? In person. I found, uh, I found a funny meme online. Here, check it out. Life is short. Life is short. Make sure you spend as much time as possible on the internet arguing with strangers about politics. <laughs> it's uh, sarcastic, right? Because who would want to do that? And yet so many times it happens. Here's a, here's a church sign that I thought was pretty funny about trying to become a healthy church in here. They put up a sign that said, we love hurting people. <laughs> Uh-oh, that could go both ways. You see how it could, whoops, have one meaning or the other. We want to be a loving community. We want, don't want to love hurting people. So being healthy means setting aside selfishness and strife, going deeper in love for each other, individually and in relationships. It takes intentionality to become a church where it's safe to share our struggles, where you feel like other people are not just pretending to be perfect, but they're real. That everyone needs the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ equally every morning. That help is waiting when you open up. That when conflict comes, and conflict comes to every single church, when conflict comes that everyone decides to resolve it in a mature, upright, godly, and biblical manner. That's a healthy church, that we resolve things, that people determine that life is better with a church family, that they're going to do more than just sneak in after church starts and sneak out before it ends. They actually want to get plugged into group life because they can't be healthy without it. Church is better. Life is better with a church family. Imagine if we committed to being healthy, setting aside selfishness and strife, going deeper in love for each other. This is what we see modeled in the early church community. Imagine if for three years we said, Lord, make us healthy as a congregation. Lord, help us to grow, to open up. Lord, help us to put aside any sense of entitlement or preference. Lord, help us to turn away from grumbling or gossip or negativity. Oh Lord, help us to forgive those who have hurt us. Help us to do everything in love. What can God do in here if we commit to being a healthy church? It doesn't just happen. We have to be devoted to it. We're building a healthy, humble, spiritually community. Humble is the last one. Humble in this first point, lowering ourselves in Christ-like service to God and to others. We are striving to be holy healthy, and humble, lowering ourselves in Christ-like service to God and others. Humble people do certain things to humble themselves. I remember when Pastor Mark was here, he did an interview, we were trying to find a staff member, and I said, well, what'd you think? And Mark always gave a lot of thought to things, and he said, well, I don't think he was very humble. And I said, what makes you say that? He said, you didn't ask any questions, not even one. And usually when you're checking out a new job opportunity, you know, you talk about yourself and your credentials and everything, but you want to find out what's going on there. I thought it was super insightful that he said, humble people ask questions. That was really insightful. And in the end, that candidate proved to not work out because there was a sense of haughtiness uh, in his heart. There are things humble people do, and we are all striving to become humble and battling haughtiness and pride. In Luke 14, 11, Jesus said this. We'll put this up on the screen. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
It's an either or. It's a fork in the road. We want to be humbling ourselves. What do humble people do according to Scripture? Well, they work hard serving other people. They set aside their rights and preferences. They embrace the vision and the authority of the elders and support the leaders in the local congregation. That's humble. And humility among the leaders is demonstrated in many ways too. One of the ways that we challenge our leaders to demonstrate humility is to go through some, some sort of a formal review process. Our staff, our elders, our deacons all go through annual formal reviews. We have informal reviews and check-ins, but we actually literally put it on paper. How are you doing? Where are you at with the Lord? Is there, is there any disqualifying sin in your life that you would like to bring into light before the Lord does for you? Every year that question gets asked eyeball to eyeball. And that's one way that we challenge our leaders to be humble, to be open, to be honest, to share our struggles, and to be accountable to one another. We also offer leader development courses all the time because when you're in leadership, whether a small group or ministry leader, you're tempted to feel like you've graduated. You're a grace graduate, um, but that's not true at all. Leaders actually have a lot more to learn once you are entrusted with the sheep of Christ. And so we offer leader development in an ongoing way. And this is one way leaders say, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I'm still growing. We're striving to be humble, lowering ourselves in Christ-like service to God and to others. Maybe you remember early in the book of Acts when the apostle Paul, and what a phenomenal leader he's going to become. He's going to write like half of the New Testament. He's going to plant tons of churches. He's going to see heaven. He's going to have the power to work wonders. I mean, this is going to be a titanic, epic leader. And in one city he was in, he got chased out of the city, and they almost killed him. They had to, do you remember this, lower him in a basket out the window at night so he could run for his life. When I preached that, I brought a giant hamper up here. Remember that on stage? And I brought somebody up here, one of the leaders in our church, and I made him get in the hamper, lower himself, and then I said, we're going to bring you up to the roof and find a way to lower you down, right? Men's ministry. Just a joke, though. We didn't actually do that. That became emblematic in our church, something we say to each other. When we feel like maybe we're getting bigger, maybe things aren't going our way, we say, hey, get in the hamper. You might want to tell that to somebody. Hey, get in the hamper. What did you think spiritual leadership was all about? If the Apostle Paul has to get in the hamper and be lowered down over the wall and run for his life, uh, God's not going to pitch underhand to you. This is not Nerf ball. So humble, humble, humbly accept challenges and growth. That's what we're striving for. Number one, that's our vision in here. We know that in the church there's a battle with worldliness, division, and pride, so we're going for holy, healthy, humble, spiritual community we can all build that in the Lord. All right, let's talk about out there. Number two, jot this down. Our vision out there. Our vision out there. Out there is scary. Out there is angry. Those people out there are wicked and greedy and violent and corrupt and crooked and unchristian. Terrible drivers. Can't believe it. Selfish the things I see and hear at work, I can't believe the people out there and in the schools, the kids, the parents, and just go to the ball field on Saturday. The things they shout at the umpires 
and in Washington, oh my goodness, and the Democratic National Convention is coming to Chicago again. It is going to blow up out there. So I'm staying inside with my popcorn and watching Netflix. I don't think I'm overstating it. I think I'm understating it. The world has lost its mind. There is a war against truth at every level. The most verifiable, scientifically verifiable things that are true about the world today, about humanity today, are uh, being completely disregarded and denied. So there is an all-out war with truth out there. So what's your vision? What's your vision? What's your vision? What's your vision? How do you want to see things change out there? Here's a picture of Chicago. Uh, ben, I lived in Chicago my whole life. Third largest city in the nation. And what do you see there? What do you want to see there? A vision is a compelling picture of the future. I know for a lot of people, they want in the future for Chicago to not be in their future. I want to go to Arizona. I want to go to Florida. I want to go to Indiana. I want, and that's fine if in the future you have another place you want to be. But while you're here, we will tolerate no complaining about Chicago for the next three years. Save it all. All right? Because we want, we want to see a great awakening to the gospel in the city of Chicago. That's what we want. And guess what? God has already done it. So we're asking him to do it again. Do you know when Billy Graham came to town? He came twice. One time he came, he organized such a massive volunteer team that they knocked on a million doors and invited those people to his crusade. Thousands of people got saved in the McCormick place. God already did it. We're asking him to do it again. So we've not lost heart. In Acts 1, 6 to 11, we realize what we are called to. It says this, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at that time, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and here comes us to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so they went. That's our marching orders to the ends of the earth. So our vision out there we'll face three problems as well. Jot this down. The three biggest problems in the world today, people are haughty, they're hurting, and they're hopeless. They're haughty, they're hurting, and they're hopeless. They're haughty. There's no fear of God. There is no fear of God when anything goes morally and you can make up all your own rules. I'm grateful, though, that even our youngest believers here at Anchor are figuring this out. One of my favorite stories from the last hundred days is I went up to the kids area and shared the vision with them. I showed them the map and I told them that Jesus wants to, all of their friends to hear about God. One kid, seven-year-old Blake, raised his hand and said, I was, I, was, I was playing a video game and one of the guys I was playing had a username and his username was Jesus is a lie. 
And I said, no, he's not. So after that game, I changed my username to Jesus is alive. (laughs) Seven years old. Okay, mama didn't tell him to do that. He just did it. Because Jesus is alive and he knows it. I love that. The world is haughty. Jesus is a lie. But God's people know better. The world is hurting. They're emotional. They're lonely. They're depressed. Struggling with diseases, divorce, suicide is out of control. Overdoses are an epidemic. Several years ago, I read a shocking stat that I think it was in Kentucky. There are more pain pill prescriptions in the entire state than there are people. Out of control, out of control, out of control. And therefore, people who are hurting need help. They need empathy because because they're hurting. Guy I visited a couple weeks ago, tied to somebody in our church. I visit him in the hospital, and sometimes when I make hospital visits, If I know that a person has almost died or will die soon, I just go right for it. This guy had coded four times. You know what that means? You're gone, and they bring you back. He got one, two, three, four, face in eternity, pulled back out. Face in eternity, pulled back out. He was all tubed up, and I said, "Uh, it's time to make your peace with God. You're out of time. And he did and he got saved, and he recovered, and now I go and talk with him, and in tears, he says, when you said that, it struck straight through my heart. There's so much empathy for him because of his struggles, but praise God, he's hurting, but he's saved, and the world is hopeless. They'll die and go to hell forever. Remember that the next time your neighbor gives you a hard time over how you mowed your lawn. They're hopeless if they don't know Christ, and that's what really matters. Here's a picture of Titanic's anchor chain. That's the anchor chain that they thought would really save Titanic, you know, if needed to just drop anchor and stay where they need to go. Uh, You know what? It didn't matter. And it doesn't matter what people think is chaining their life together right now, no matter how strong it is. They are hopeless. They're hopeless. They have no hope of entering eternity. Because they're haughty, because they're hurting, because they're hopeless, we reach out to them. We reach out to them. Out there, you can write this down. Here's our vision. We're reaching half a million people with the gospel in 40 cities over the next thousand days. We put this on a map, and then we put the map in the lobby. Here's the map. It's not too heavy, so I can actually carry it over here. But here's the map. There we go. I'll preach the rest of the sermon from behind the map. No, I'll come out here. (laughs) But uh, when we presented the vision originally, you know, here's the church. We have a seven-mile radius of people out there in our congregation, you know, all the way out here. We touch 40 cities, including our little ponds, and this is Anchor Lake, right? And we realize, because the internet can tell you these things, there's half a million fish in Anchor Lake, and we have boats everywhere, south region, middle region, and our north region. So of the 500,000 people that our congregation is touching, how many of them do we want to hear the gospel over the next thousand days? Well, all of them, right? All of them, right? So that's our vision. We're reaching half a million people with the gospel in 40 cities over the next thousand days for the glory of God. We want Chicago to know there's a God in heaven above out there. 
So what's coming when it comes to out there, what's coming? Well, one of the big ways, I mean, we've hit the road and handed out thousands of invitations, but we have to get a digital reach too if we're really going to multiply our efforts. So that's why we're launching a website. It's called findgodagain.com. It takes a long time to build a website right, by the way, months. So that's what we've been doing. We're working hard on that. And we, we're, we've chosen to make it a testimonial website. So your story can be on this website. But here's just a little sneak peek at one part of the main page, findgodagain.com. Sneak peek. Okay, take it down. I don't want them to see it for too long. There, you got your peek and now it's gone. It's going to be launched pretty soon. But at any point in the three years, you can say, hey, I'm ready to fill my testimony, and we will put it on the website. Our stories will hit our region. There are also many other links on the site to ministry and outreach for kids, for teenagers, question and answers, apologetics. It's going to be really awesome, and it's almost ready. So out there, we're excited to launch that. That'll be our primary fall outreach effort, is to, to raise awareness, to drive people to the website, findgodagain.com. It's going to be a very, very powerful tool. That's kind of the air war. We want the message to get out there. The ground war is we want people to get out there serving and showing the love of Christ. So you have opportunities to go out here and to show the love of Christ. Joe Majewski is going to come up right now. Joe, come on up. He's going to tell you about August 4th to 5th, the Send Chicago opportunity where uh, people are coming and we want to be a part of that. So Joe, come on up. Tell us what is happening on August 4th to the 5th. August 4th and 5th, we have the opportunity to do more out outreach. They have programs. If you think you're, you can't handle painting, repairing things, they have a grilling, mobile grilling gym, which is outstanding. Uh, where they have community presence. Just be out in the presence. So if you think you can't physically do something, there's things you can do. And we have 14 people uh, signed up now. I want to see at least 20. I'd like to see 30, but I want to see more people sign up. So you're going to see a table out there in the gym, and it's going to be just like this, and I'm going to be standing there. I want you to come talk to me and ask me more questions, and I'll answer all your questions at that point. So uh, August 4th to the 5th, 1,000 people from all around the country are coming through Send Network to do service projects. We want to join in. They're, they're coming here. We want to join in. Joe can help you to figure out where we are going to serve. And one more opportunity came up online for that day. Elam Christian School, maybe you know that. Um, they, on the same day, August 4th, 10 to 2, they need help handing out food, pushing wheelchairs at their adult services picnic, picnic fr uh, Friday, August 4th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Anyone, um, so it would be junior high through adult. So you can register online to become a volunteer there. Maybe, maybe you can find your fit, but there's going to be plenty of manual labor projects. But this is one where you're a volunteer at an at a, uh, outreach picnic for special needs kids and adults. That's the same day. You can join in that too. So see Joe, go online, but let's get our people out there to serve our city. Thanks, Joe. Let's give him a round of applause. Awesome. So we want to get out there with the love of Christ, and we, we really don't know how we're going to get the gospel to a half a million people, but we think God's really going to surprise us with some unexpected opportunities we would love also for other churches who find out about our initiative to join in. Here's some pictures of us getting out there already. We talked about the Hickory Hill Street Fair. We talked about the Orland Days, uh, the Palos Heights Parade. So we are getting out there in many ways with the love of Christ. And here's the next picture. Um, so, so many of you have already said yes to doing a Backyard Bible Club, to going and handing out invites at Orland Mall. You can get out there. 
All right, so number one, we have a vision for in here. Number two, we have a vision for out there. And number three, you can write this down. This is your chance to make a difference. This is your chance to make a difference. This is all flowing out of Scripture because they went. They heard the call. You know, Peter saw the vision, heard the call, go, go. And he led Cornelius to faith in Christ. You know, Paul and um, Silas, they were, they were, Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch. And the Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have commissioned them to do. So God himself is saying, go. And this is our chance to make a difference. It starts real small. In your bulletin, do you have a start here sheet? Is that in your bulletin? If, hold it up. There we go. You might be like, where do I start? Well, right there, that sheet, if you haven't already done that. You see me in the lobby, and you get your ribbon. We did the ribbon-cutting ceremony. Raise your hand if you've already gotten your ribbon. Raise your hand if you've already gotten your ribbon. All right, awesome. You say, literally, you say it, here I am, send me. And then you invite, like, 10 people to church, I think it is. And uh, it, you can start today, and then you pray for all the people you know in your neighborhood. That's how it begins. So this is a golden opportunity that we have, and we're only 100 days in. You can still jump on board. How? Well, write this down. Be informed. Be informed. Read the strategic plan and watch the videos. Uh, read the strategic plan and watch the video. If you're not informed, you're not going to know where we're going. Um, raise your hand if you were in a small group that went through those strategic plan videos. Raise your hand if you've already gone through them. Okay, so if your hand is not up, you can go to the website and watch the videos this week. Here's a picture from our website of how you can do it. You just find the 1,000-day strategic plan page and then look in the lower left. The first video is right there, but when you click watch on YouTube, all seven videos come up. And you can watch the videos and you can catch the full picture of our strategic plan for the next three years. Write this down. Say yes to upcoming opportunities. Say yes to upcoming opportunities. Let's face it, there is no growth in the comfort zone. There is no growth in the comfort zone. So we have to, when an opportunity comes up, say yes, not no, I'll be there, I'll show up, count me in, and write this down, find your strength, but stretch yourself too. Find your strength, but stretch yourself too. If you're more of a passionate in here person, rock it, do it, do freedom groups, do small groups, right? Bring, bring new ministries in here, but don't neglect getting out there. And if you're really superb at getting out there, that's great, but also be involved in here. Find your strength, but stretch yourself as well. Uh, I'm going to invite the worship team up right now as I share one last story. I was inspired recently because for 4th of July each year, I usually read a revolutionary war book, right, USA. And what I read in my revolutionary war book was really inspiring. George Washington was in big trouble the winter of 1777. Congress had just run for their lives as the British took Philadelphia Morale was low. Washington's army had a disastrous supply crisis. Many times Washington was one mistake away from total defeat. So they made camp at Valley Forge. We've got a picture here of Valley Forge, winter of 1777. Washington convinced his men to stay, and they did, to train, resupply, work together, and then to go back to war. A third of them had no shoes. They had no blankets. They endured snow and freezing rain. They ate anything. They ate rats. They ate their own shoes. Typhoid and dysentery spread through the camp freely, and lice were everywhere. 
They trained every day. They worked together as an army. They departed in the spring and they went on to triumph in battle against the British and the world was changed forever. I shared with you before, but when the British army was defeated, they, as they passed by the Union rank, as they passed by the revolutionary ranks, they played the song, The World Turned Upside Down. Well, listen, when I think about Chicago, it can feel hopeless. It can feel like we've already lost the fight, but our commander-in-chief is rallying his troops, us, and calling us to get together and go out again. So let's go change the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this vision that flows right out of Scripture, for all that you've done, for all that you have yet to do. We know how this story ends, Lord Jesus. You are on the throne. We know how this story ends. And heaven will be filled with people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. So, oh Lord, we pray and we say, here we are. Send us. Here we are. Form us to be that healthy, humble congregation full of your spirit. Help us as we go out to impact people we never thought would respond to the gospel. And we will give you all the glory, Jesus. We pray this in your mighty and matchless name. Amen.